Welcome to the Strategic Planning Podcast with financial coach Mike Flanders. With more than 40 years of experience in the financial services industry, Mike knows the X's and O's that'll help you achieve your financial goals. It's time for the Strategic Planning Podcast. Hey everybody, welcome into another edition of Strategic Planning. This is episode number 75. We've been doing quite a few of these, so hopefully you've been enjoying them. And again, make sure you subscribe to us if you haven't considered doing so in the past. It's a great time to do it. Lots of content to obviously go back through and check out. You can find it all at spcinvesting.com. That's spcinvesting.com. That's Mike's website here on the show. Of course, you can subscribe on Apple, Google, Spotify, iHeart, Stitcher. So for example, if you're an Apple user, you already have Apple Podcasts pre-installed on your phone. You can just simply open that app, type in strategic planning, and you should be able to find that strategic planning with Mike Flanders. So that's, um, yeah, now that that business is out of the way this week on the podcast, <laughs> we're going to talk about common housing questions for and from retirees. What's going on, Mike? How you doing? Oh, hey, that's a great question. Very apropos for where we're at right now. We're not retirees at this point, of course, but mm-hmm. I'm thinking about housing and um, we uh, did not downsize at some point. We're going to talk about that a little bit today. Right. When I was thinking about that, I was seeing some of the pros and cons and and uh, right now we are housing three of our grandchildren and my mother-in-law. Oh, wow. Um, you got a full house. So, yeah, we've got a full house. And uh, <laughs> so I'm glad we didn't downsize at this point, at least, uh, because it would be a little tight. <laughs> yeah, you never know when life's going to throw something at you like that, right? That's right. We just didn't expect all this stuff and it happens. And so it just, uh, God was good to have us where we are. So there you go. We're in good shape. Exactly. And that's a great point for the conversation today because you just never know how things are going to fl- play into it. And, right. you know, really, I mean, honestly, housing is a, is a hugely important topic, Mike, for a lot of retirees, pre-retirees, because many of us do view it and sometimes it is the biggest asset we'll ever own or manage. Uh, and mm. we want to get that, you know, that part of the equation correct. And sometimes there's the there's the head rule, there's the tummy rule. It just depends on how it makes mm. you feel uh, in your head or in your heart or whatever the case might be. Like, can you sleep at night and so on and so forth. So let's just go through some, through some of the most common things that we tend to see uh, here on this episode. Uh, and we'll just kind of hit on some of this stuff and, and you address some of that. So we'll dive into that in just a second. But let's start with the fact that interest rates are still really low. Okay, they're starting to tick up uh, and it's starting to happen. But people do say, well, you know, should I... Should I go ahead and just pay off the house? Maybe I've got enough in in my my retirement accounts or savings or whatever. Or do I keep making that low low payment because I've got such a good low interest rate? It's that whole you know have the mortgage or don't have the mortgage conversation. Yeah, in fact, that's, that's interesting. I just had someone come to me. Um, I think it was earlier this week. Yeah, uh, and ask me that question. Uh, they have uh, enough in a retirement one of the spouses' retirement accounts to pay off their house. And, you know, we just went through a little quick scenario. They were picking up their tax returns. So I had all their tax stuff on my software. We just put in, okay, what if we take that money out and pay off the mortgage? What's it do? And it was a good 40 plus percent of the money was uh, went to taxes as opposed mm-hmm. to in the payoff of the house. So they they had to take out 140% of the uh, amount that was necessary to pay off the house in order to do that. And, you know, uh, to overcome a 40% reduction like that is it takes a while. Uh, it doesn't just come right back necessarily. So um, you know, doing something like that may not be the best move there. But uh, low interest rates. Again, I, I, I think last time we talked a little bit about uh, standard deductions versus itemized deductions. With the standard deduction being so high now, and I know some of this is 
not right on the tip of people's minds or whatever as to how this stuff works. But it's often, uh, I, I get a lot of, uh, in preparing tax returns, a lot of uh, data that people send me for doing itemizing. And we don't really need it because the standard deduction is more than what they're itemized are. So, you know, paying the low interest rate. Okay, great. What I would do if if it were me is I would try just to make as much extra payment on my mortgage if I had to, uh, to try and pay it down quickly and uh, pay as little interest as possible, as opposed to um, trying to hang on to a mortgage just because it's a low interest rate and, you know, use other people's money or whatever. Why would I do that? Mm-hmm. Peace of mind. Also, yep. less that I have to draw on my retirement account in retirement if I'm getting there and uh, to pay a mortgage so I can have that money working for me to use for other things. So that's just, that's my personal bias is to do that. However, uh, if someone is comfortable with having a mortgage in retirement and their assets are such that they can afford it, it fits in with their budget and all, and what they can generate safely from their their investments, then um, you know the low interest rate situation is not bad because then you can keep that money invested and let it grow more. So it, it's it's going to be a, a somewhat. Of, I think you referred to a gut check. Um, yeah, you know, what, yeah, the head of the tummy rule. For yep. you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, everybody's different on that. So. There, there's some value to the low interest rates and keeping it and, and kind of using other people's money type thing. But I think, um, Mike, it, what, it what winds up happening here a lot of times, though, is when people are close to maybe having uh-huh. the house paid off, they yeah. it becomes tempting to say, well, let me just go ahead and pull this money out of whatever account and pay it off to, right. get, to, to make me feel better. And uh-huh. and you really do need to talk with your you know, professional before you do that because you don't want to be, as the saying goes, you know, house rich and cash poor. Right? right, because you don't want right. to totally drain yourself, but and and that's where, especially with these high inflationary times, right? Do you really want to mm-hmm. zap all your cash to pay off the house? Yes, you feel better, but when you've got a good, if you still have a good low interest rate, maybe go ahead and continue making that payment so that you're not zapping the cash again. It's just you got to think it through, right? And and I wouldn't think of my retirement accumulations as a resource for doing that sort of thing, but some people do, which is why some I people yeah, do, right? And and what I would I encourage a person to do would be to think of what else can I do outside of tapping that future resource for yes. retirement future paycheck. Yeah. What can I do in terms of cutting my current expenses, generating more income, um, doing you know it, to, to take that money uh, that extra money that's generated from either re- reduction of expenses or more income, and and pay down that mortgage faster. Um, that's I would just encourage that. <laughs> yeah, I would too. All right, so let's talk about the downsizing a little bit real quick. Is it wise to downsize to a smaller home? This one, I don't know, Mike. I mean, we could spend a lot of time on this one just in the current yeah. environment we're in, just from the fact that if you sell your house, you might have gotten more, you might get more for it right now over the last maybe 18 months because mm-hmm. the market's been crazy, but you're also paying more for the new place too. For a so, new house, that's correct. Yeah. yeah, It's a tough call to downsize right now. Yeah, it is. And yeah. I, I've seen some people where they have uh, downsized and said, let's rent for a while and see if this thing cools off and then we'll go look and, and find something. Or they're moving to another area where maybe the uh, in, the housing inflation's not been as strong. And so they can sell here maybe in a higher uh, market situation and go buy somewhere else that they want to that's lesser. Uh, so, you know, there's there's always those possibilities. It just it depends on the circumstance. Mm-hmm. But, I, you know, I was thinking about pros of, of downsizing. You know, if you do downsize, um, you know, in whatever kind of housing market in, you're possibly going to free up some equity that could be invested to help increase your retirement income. Another thing of downsizing, and 
I, I don't know, maybe people don't think about this, but it's less to maintain, less to clean, <laughs> you this know, that true. kind of stuff. This is true. Less stuff that you have place to store things so you can, in the process of moving, dispose of excess. Your kids will love you for it, by the way. Um, and maybe so, if you're you know, looking at a condo or, I mean, like a lot of retirees mm-hmm. look at things like that, a condo or a townhome, you know, that, yeah. that, that might have a different benefit. But just, uh, you know, bear in mind the fact that it, everything is really pricey right now still. So with mm-hmm. all this inflation stuff we're dealing with, it just may right. not be the, the most beneficial financial move. Right, you know. right, exactly. But th- those are some pros that sure, could be there. Yeah. Some cons, uh, it costs you to move. Yeah. I mean, there, there, there's going to be an expense there. Um, and, and then I referred to this early on, uh, space for your family to visit or move in and live with you. True. Uh, it might be t- a little tight. And if that's an important thing, uh, you know, maybe something to consider there. Another thing, I guess, is, is a con is sometimes people will downsize in the pro- and in the process move to be closer to where their kids are and then their kids end up getting transferred or moving or what have you. So, you know, those are some things that are, you just need to watch out for relative to the, that whole game of downsizing. What, yeah. what, what's, what's going on in, in all these different circumstances. Okay. Uh, all right. So let's talk about this one, Mike. So home okay. equity lines, um, you know, if you're thinking about retirement from this standpoint, okay, you're going into retirement, you're getting close to it. You know that you're going to have to replace the HVAC system. Okay. So you replace it, you know, early on in retirement. Well, how do you view, what's the best strategy or what do you like to do when it comes to planning for replacing that again later? Cause let's be honest, they don't build stuff like they used to. So you put a new HVAC system in when you first get to retirement or let's say 60, 62, somewhere around that neighborhood, mm-hmm. there's a good chance that by the time you get to 75 or maybe even 80, that thing's got to be changed. Right? So mm-hmm. how do you go about planning for major purchases? Are you strategizing ahead and setting aside money? Or are you tapping into an emergency fund? What are we doing? I, th- I think setting aside money is a good thing, putting it into an emergency fund. So you have that there for those. And, and, you know, everybody knows that's going to happen. We tend not to think about it much. And just but we can't plan well. for it. It makes a huge dent if we go ahead and plan early for it. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and you, you know, the routine, if you got a $15,000 expense and you got 15 years before, what do you need to do? Save a thousand dollars a year, 83 bucks a month, you know, that's not maybe much. that's doable. I mean, yeah. right. And, um, and I did, by the way, I didn't include any interest in there because interest rates are so low. It really doesn't make much difference. So, um, but yeah, you, you, you plan for that sort of thing. Some people think in terms of, well, I'll just borrow on my house, you know, I'll get a home equity line of credit. Well, if you have a home equity line of credit, great. You got it right. Um, if you get caught with a whole bunch of things at once and it's cascading, maybe that's a place to go for that. Do you view that as Um, an okay idea for retirees? I, I, I think it's okay to have the home equity line in mm-hmm. place, but I don't, I really don't like for people to think in terms of tapping it. Gotcha. Um, you know, certainly not to like buy a new car, pay medical bills. I mean, you know, you, you can um, finance those things if you need to, you know, doing it on the home equity lines, not like it used to be where you can deduct the interest for those things. It's got to be something that was used to improve or purchase the house. Um, so, you know, those, those kinds of things aren't, uh, quote deductible. And again, the standard deduction is so high, very few people, even, even with that would be able to deduct it, but you can, you can negotiate, uh, payment plans on medical bills and, and even discounts, uh, you know, for, for paying them off and that sort of thing. And that's where, if you've got the emergency fund, you could do that. You need to do the home equity line is, is there, but it just helps you uh, spread it out. But I, I sure wouldn't use that as my first line of defense. I would be putting money aside 
routinely have a routine habit of saving money every month, putting into an emergency fund to have for those kinds of things. Okay. Let's go on to number four here, Mike, and that is mm-hmm. the signing of the house over to the kids. This gets really, really sticky. Mm-hmm. This is something you have really got to consider and talk with professionals on. There's a lot mm-hmm. of caveats here, and and what's some of the things that you've seen, or so what's just what's your thought on saying? People are saying, "Hey, I, I want to sign it over to the kids so that if if I have a medical event, I don't, you know, it can't be taken or whatever." Yeah, most people are thinking. Uh, well, I say most. Many people are thinking. In terms of nursing home, you know, and, and and all like that. First of all, let me say this. If you go into a nursing home and you own your home, it is not a countable asset. If you're a widow or a single person and you go into a nursing home and you own your home, it can still not necessarily be a countable asset to keep you from qualifying for Medicaid. Uh, you can sign what's called an intent to return home under current law. Uh, but there, there are other things that can be done outside of signing it over to the kids. And, and there are some dangers to that. I mean, if your child were to get into, and I'm saying your adult child, get sure. into a car accident or something happened and they get sued. Exactly. That's their asset. It's not yours. It could go to pay that. And now yes, where are you going to Yeah, live? especially like if it's looking at like a second home, they get into an asset or an accident right. and a judge is saying, okay, well, we're not going to take the their primary home, but we're going to take their secondary home. Well, that yeah. secondary home is actually your home as, your the, home. as the parent. Yeah. You're kind of SOL there. Mm-hmm. So There are some other ways to do some of these things to protect it in terms of it going to your kids, because there's what's called a state recovery in the Medicaid laws, where if you do receive Medicaid benefits from the state and Mm -hmm. you've been then subsequently pass away, they have the right to go against things in your estate to recover what they paid out for on your behalf. And so if the house is owned by you at your death, then that's an asset that they could force to be sold to pay them back. But there are things like Medicaid asset protection trust that you can set up with a good elder law attorney. And we have people we can put you in touch with on that, um, that will protect the house. Another thing that's a little less expensive is what's called a split deed or 1% deed where you deed over just a very small portion of the house to the kids, not the whole thing. And um, then it's joint with rights of survivorship so that when you die, they, by virtue of being a joint owner with rights of survivorship, now own the house. They get your 99% and it passes. And the nice thing about that is they get a step up in cost in, in, in basis uh, on that, as opposed to if you sign it over to them during your life and then they subsequently sell the house after you pass, uh, they take what you paid for that house whenever you originally bought it, plus any improvements you made. And uh, as their cost basis, and they pay tax on the difference between what they sell it for and what you paid for it. And that's can be pretty expensive. So doing a 1% deed or Medicaid asset protection trust can preserve that zero tax on selling the house eventually once you pass. Well, again, a lot of things to definitely consider. And it's just, it is. there's a slippery slope there. So please make sure you're getting <laughs> some qualified advice on that. Not to mention, there's also a five-year look back in most places. So exactly. if you wind up saying, oh, I'm going to go into a nursing home and I've got this illness and I sign it over, they're going to go you know, look and if it's when it happened within five years, they're going to claw those assets back. So right. just definitely get some advice on this, folks. Uh, and and kind of sticking with that same vein, when we're talking about the kids here, Mike, complications that could arise with an estate plan, especially if you have, uh, you know, like I'll use my wife for an example. Uh, it's her and her sister. My wife has no interest whatsoever in the house, her family, her mom and dad's house when they pass. Uh, and the sister, she kind of wants it, but maybe she doesn't either, right? So 
Mm-hmm. Are you just making sure that you're figuring out what it is that you want to do with the property when you pass? A lot of times we see the situation where one family member wants it, the others don't, the others are like, okay, well then how are you going to pay me for my you know, portion mm-hmm. or my share? So just make sure that we're getting those plans in place too to avoid that infighting. Yeah, and, and you you really have hit the, the nail on the head there. It's, it's, it's plan ahead. Everybody know what's going on. No secrets, uh, no special side deals. And even ask them, right? Who wants it? Who doesn't want it? Like get that stuff figured out ahead of time. Right, exactly. And if there's a mortgage on it still, that's a little further complication. You know, how's that going to be paid in the meantime until the house is sold or somebody buys it and refinances it or Mm -hmm. whatever they do? Yeah. yeah, a lot, a lot of things like that just need to be planned for ahead of time. Because, yeah, you're going to wind up with sticky situations, especially if you've, if you've got – and like for us, it's easy. We've got one kid. So, you know, there's mm-hmm. there's no infighting when there's just one. It's like, well, you get yeah, it yeah. all, see you, you know, kind of thing. <laughs> but uh, when you got more than one kid, definitely want to get that estate plan sorted out. Uh, mm-hmm. Final one, Mike, reverse mortgages. Now, back in the day, these definitely – Many, I think just about everybody would say these are a bad idea, but they've changed yeah. a lot over the last couple of years. Do you still think, what do you, what's your opinion? Do you think they're a bad idea or could they be a useful tool? Uh, to use myself as an example again, we, we have the one daughter. She's in the Navy. She's planning on making a career out of it. She may not want this house when that time comes. Right. So it could right. be a way for my wife and I to supplement our retirement by tapping into the equity in the home uh, right. and then allowing it to be sold after we pass. Right. Yeah. And and the thing with the reverse mortgage, if, um, if I haven't looked at it lately in terms of specifics, but getting ready to with a specific client, the um, house doesn't necessarily have to be sold immediately upon the death of the second spouse. I think you have about a year to do something about that. But yeah, and the um, kids and kids do actually have a chance. I was reading to if they would like to keep it, they can buy it back as well. Oh yeah, so yeah, it's, it's not, not like just a forced yeah, sale. Yeah, it used to be. I think people used to think, oh, one person died, it's mine. Give it to me. You're out. You know, kind of yeah, thing. Right. Uh, and it's just changed a lot. So it could be a viable tool, but you definitely need to do some research. You do, and it used to be more expensive than it is uh, to do those. You do have to go through counseling um, with. Uh, housing association or something like that. At, at any rate, uh, it, it, it can be a useful tool to generate additional income. I would use it as a last resort unless there's just like you just gave a, a great example of that, uh, where there's not going to be a need for that house to be in place. There's no one there yeah, to leave anyone. it to. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So uh, I think yeah. it had to be what, 62, Two. Mike? 62. 62. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. To even consider it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So again, a lot of options out there, right? When it comes to questions for retirees, even pre-retirees about what do you want to do with the house? You know, how do you want to handle it? How do you want to maintain it? It's a huge, you know, component. It's a huge asset in our life. So how are we dealing with it? There's the head rule, which is kind of the math and the logic. There's the tummy rule or the heart rule, uh, you know, depending on how you feel about it, how much, you know, attachment you have to it. You just raise the family there or whatever the case might be. So yeah. lots of questions to ask yourself. Uh, So definitely make sure that you're talking with a qualified professional before you take any action when it comes to anything financially related, but certainly the house as well. And if you need some help, as Mike said, he's got lots of people he can turn you on to to help with different questions when it comes to the different kinds of avenues as well as the services that he can provide. So give him a jingle at 336-668-4338 before you take any action or just stop by the website, spcinvesting.com. That's spcinvesting.com. As I said earlier, don't forget to subscribe to us on whatever platform you like to use for podcasting so you can catch all the new episodes as well as the past 74 because this is number 75, Mike. Pretty oh, cool. nice. Nice. <laughs> Good stuff, man. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I appreciate you as always. 
Uh, thanks for hanging out with me. I know you got the grandbabies in the house. I'm going to let you get back to it, but hope you have a great day. Thank you so much. We're enjoying them, and I uh, hope you guys have a wonderful day, too. Thank we'll you. catch you next time here on Strategic Planning with Mike Flanders, financial coach at Strategic Planning Corporation. Information is for illustrative purposes only and does not constitute tax, investment, or legal advice. Always consult with a qualified investment, legal, or tax professional before taking any action.